Well, I don't know if you missed me or not last week. <clears throat> I want to thank Daniel. Uh, he's our, Daniel Wright's our men's director and our resident seminary student. And he filled the pulpit for me last week. I've watched the sermon. It was a good sermon. I've had some good comments from a number of people about the message. And it uh, does me a lot of good to be able to go out of town and know that the pulpit's going to be filled ably. Between him and Bo, I don't have a whole lot to worry about up here, and that's a good feeling. You never know when you're getting somebody off the streets what's going to be said and how many weeks it'll take to clean up, so it's good. In case you didn't miss me, I was on vacation in the Florida Keys. I was striking off a list on my bucket list. I've always wanted to go to the Florida Keys. I got the opportunity, me, Ben, and Luke. Drove down, stayed in Key Largo, then we drove down to Key West. I have never seen water so beautiful in my life. It looks like the postcards. I mean, it's, it's girly colors, seafoam green, turquoise. There wasn't even, you couldn't use a guy color to describe it. It wasn't green and blue, it was something different. It was gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous. Sea all the way to the bottom, it was really cool. Went to Key West, I always wanted to go to the southernmost tip of the continental United States, got to do that, got my picture made there in Key, Key West, we had key lime pie, yeah, dipped in dark chocolate, sun, let me tell you, it's a diabetics nightmare, it was great, I touched the wall surrounding Hemingway's house, I was too cheap to pay for the tour, but uh, you know, it's a house, what do I, but, but I'm, I'm sort of weird in that I knew that he had to have touched that wall at some point. And so I touched the wall that Hemingway touched. And maybe a little his writing skill would rub off as I did that. Uh, and I rode an airboat in the Everglades. And it gave me a great appreciation for the people that explored this country. Because there were lots of alligators that were just floating around out there waiting for a good meal. And uh, makes you wonder how many of those guys braved through that and had to fight through all of that to make our country what it is. So that's pretty cool. It was good. We had a good time. It was a good vacation. I had my two boys with me. I appreciate the time away more than you know. And right now, I want to ask two very special young ladies, if they would, to come forward and read today's scripture for us. It's Miss Megan and Miss Maddie Ling. Their mom and dad is Monica and John Ling. The only thing I hold against either one of them is that John is an Ohio State fan, and that's probably going to keep him out of heaven. <laughs> Megan and I met in Ms. Diane Green's preschool several years back when she was in preschool, and she's been one of my special friends ever since. If you're fortunate enough to be able to come on Wednesday nights, and I know not everybody is, I used to work a secular job and getting here by 6.30 on Wednesdays was difficult sometimes. But if you're fortunate enough to get here, you'll see during our fellowship meal that somebody will come up every now and then and give me a hug. And I'm telling you that no matter how bad my day is, when that happens, my day gets 100% better. And it's sort of sad to watch these two girls grow up and get older because you know at some point the old pastor thing sort of be out of Vogue and they'll move on to other things. But while I got the chance, it's pretty cool. One other thing I want to say real quick before they read the scripture for us 
is I'd like to say this. Diane Green's preschool. Diane, are you in here? Where are you? There's, there's that hand. I see that hand, sister. Don't clap yet. We ain't ready. <laughs> I want to say gushy good things first. Diane Green's preschool is a major duty blessing for First Baptist Church and for Jones County. Many of the students that go to Diane's preschool are hearing about God for the very first time. They're walking into a church for the very first time. They're hearing about Jesus for the very first time. Diane and her staff teach the kids reverence for the house of God. They teach them holiness. They teach them that they can have a good time here. And Diane teaches all of those kids to love Pastor Randy. And while that's a huge ego boost for me, it's more than that because these kids at this very, very young age are learning from Diane because she teaches them to love me that there's a pastor in a church that they can go to that cares about them. And no matter how old these kids get, we're setting a precedent already in preschool that you can go to church, somebody will love you there, the pastor will love you there, this is a good, safe place for you to be. So I want to ask you this morning, if you would, now, to give a good, strong round of applause for Diane and her students, her teachers, and for the work that they do for the kingdom of God here at First Baptist Church. And we're about to get started back with preschool again. So if you'd open your Bibles to John chapter 1, verses 35 through 42. John chapter 1, verses 35 through 42. And y'all read along as Maddie and Megan read the Word of God to us. Ladies, take it away. Can you come a little closer to the microphone there? There you go. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent the day with him. It was about the tenth hour. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who had heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah. And he, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, you are Simon son of God. You will be called Cephas. Very good. Very good. Thank you. They let their light shine, right? Yay! Pray with me if you would. Father, you've chosen preaching as the way to tell your story. And Father, we know that there's nothing magic, nothing magic in the words. And Lord, as we read scripture, those of us who are called to stand in front of a congregation and preach hear that it's, don't worry about the eloquence of the words and don't try to be clever. Because it's not our words that do the work. It is the bidding of the Holy Spirit. Father, we pray this morning your Holy Spirit would instruct us. That your Holy Spirit would apply your word to our heart. That your Holy Spirit 
would convict us of our sin and our need and our hopelessness and your Holy Spirit would fill us with grace to know that we are redeemed and we are your children and that you love us more than anything else. Help us, Lord, this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, in about 30 minutes, the deacons are going to present in conference a recommendation that the church vote to go to two distinct services in August of 2018 and to put together the necessary teams to make that happen. This is a big deal. This is a really big deal. Now, I've had some people that have come to me and told me, Randy, this isn't that big of a deal. We've been in two services before, and I've reminded people that I didn't come here four years ago. I came here 12 years ago, and I joined the church when we had multiple services. We met over in the chapel, which is now, you know, I mean, it was the sanctuary, but it's now the chapel, and we had multiple services. So no big deal that we're going to two services or that we want to go to two services or we're going to recommend that we go to two services to make sure I get my wording just right. It's no big deal, but it is a big deal. And here's why it's a big deal. We walk into this question deciding who it is that we want to be. That really is what it's all about. Who do we want to be you see the last time we went to two services it was a very simple reason it was out of necessity there were too many people too few seats if any of the, all of you that have been here you know we've been in this room for 10 years those of you that have been here longer than that can remember going into the sanctuary we had pews we didn't have stadium seating and probably I might have the number off a little bit but probably you could pack 200 people into that room like sardines we had more than 200 people you had to do something so we went we went to multiple services and if you go to the 80% rule, we could say the same thing about us right now. Because 80%, we think we can seat about 550 people between this room and that room in there. This isn't going to be one long argument. Y'all watch. This gets, boy, we go somewhere. This, between that and here, there's 550 people. 80% rule says 440 people and you're full. And starting in August, we will bounce up against that 440 people all the time. And y'all know that it's uncomfortable when we have that many people in here. You have to sit too close to people you don't know. And you know, there's really a new rule out. There really is. The new rule is 70%. You know why? because we got a little more baggage than we used to have. All of us, all age groups. The rule now really is 70% because we're a little bit wider than we used to be, so we take up just a little bit more pew space than we used to take up. But, but when you look at it, going to two services for that reason isn't declaring who we want to be, it's just expediency. You can't put a gallon of tea in a one-quart pitcher. It just won't work. You'll pour tea everywhere. And that's not the reason to make this kind of decision. Could make this decision because of the worship wars. The worship wars have been going on since the 70s and 80s. Contemporary Christian music came out in the 70s, started coming out in the 70s. I got my first CCM album in 1981. It was the second chapter of Acts. It was their Rejoice album. That was 
That was big time. Pressed in vinyl because we didn't have CDs and we didn't have MP3s and we didn't have iTunes and none of that stuff. I had an album that sat on a turntable that the needle dropped into it and made noises. And it was the second chapter of Acts. And ever since that came out, we've had people that want to go into, uh, want to worship with contemporary Christian music. And we have people that want to, to worship with traditional hymns. And let me say this about that, because we get all worked up over that stuff. Martin Luther posted the 95 Theses on the Wittenberg door in 15, I looked it up and can't remember. I think it was 1514, some of you scholars can correct me. In 1514, a number of the hymns that you sing today were not in the hymn book. And people worshipped before that. So it's not the music that does it, guys. If you hang your hat and say the only thing you can worship with is hymns, you're wrong. They worshiped for 1,500 years before that. If you say the only thing we can worship with is contemporary Christian music, you're wrong. Because we worship before you were born in 1980. And if you get down to it, guys, just from people talking to me, and, and, and you've been very open with your opinions, the people that love the traditional hymns tell me that every now and then I like a good worship chorus. And the people that like the contemporary Christian music tell me that every now and then they really want to hear a hymn. We're a blended congregation, guys. Some people just like a little more of one and a little more of the other. It's who we are. So going to two services in order to give everybody the type of music they want, that's not a good idea either because, see, that focuses on what divides us. I'm going to give you some scripture to look at and when you go home and read this. And I want you to take this to heart. I really want you to go home and read this and take it to heart. It's easy to remember. It's Romans 16, 17, and 18. Romans chapter 16, verses 17 and 18, and it talks about division and what to avoid because the body's not supposed to be divided. And, and the Bible tells us over and over and over again to avoid divisive people. That's what the Scripture says. It's not me. It's the Word. Go home and look it up. So voting to go to two services because we want everybody to have their own kind of music, that's not a good reason at all either. And so here I am giving you two reasons to vote no. And yet I stand before you and say that what we need to do is vote yes, and here's why. We have 195 young people from birth to high school that attend Sunday school here regularly. By regularly, we mean they come at least twice a month. That's the new regular, old folks. In, in our day, regular meant you came every Sunday. Those days are gone. Regular now means you come at least twice a month. And we have 195 kids that come here on a regular basis. Now, I know a few of them attend private school in Macon, and some of them attend private school in Milledgeville. But the same idea applies there just like it does in Jones County. This is the most personal sermon that I have ever preached. When I finished it and went back and read it, it scared me. But it is where I need to go. Men, men that have daughters, men that have granddaughters, 
Okay? I got one daughter. In Jones County, six of every ten guys in Jones County that ask your daughter out for a date are not Christian. In Grayberry, where we all get along, six out of ten boys that ask your little precious girl out on a date are not Christian. Mamas, grandmamas, that little prince that walks around your house that you think the sun rises and sets on your little prince. Six out of ten girls that he's going to ask on a date are not Christian. That means six out of ten of those little girls that your boy is going to ask out on a date does not share your values, does not share your morals, and does not share your worldview. Do you understand what that's saying? In Ingalls and in Harvey's, six out of every ten people you see there are not Christian. They're not. When you go to Ace Hardware, six out of every ten people in that store are not Christian. At the dentist, at the hair salon, at Chevy's, at Waffle House, Pickle Barrel, I Love Country Buffet, The Brick House, Dairy Queen, Flash Foods, Crystal, Jones County High School, all of the middle schools, all of the elementary schools, six out of ten people there are not Christian. When you go to vote... When you go to the courthouse, when you go to the jail, the library, city hall, defects, when you go to the road department, six out of ten people that you see there are not Christian. Do you understand what I'm saying? Does that sink into your head? Yes, we live in a wonderful community that everybody loves. It's Grayberry. And six out of ten people do not share your worldview. In 2010, the last time these statistics were taken, they'll they'll revamp them in 2020. The last time these statistics were available, there were 17,989 unclaimed people living in Jones County. I love that word. That's how they say it. They're unclaimed, not unchurched. They're unclaimed. They're not claimed by any denomination. They don't, have no, they don't claim any church. They have no affiliation. They are unclaimed. But I like that word for this reason. Because, see, they are claimed. They are claimed. See, we studied Ephesians together. And I know you're not ignorant because we studied it. In Ephesians 6, chapter 6, verse 12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. These six out of ten people are claimed. They are claimed by the power of darkness. These six out of ten children who ask your child and your grandchild out on a date are claimed by the powers of darkness. Do you understand? 
do you understand? Now what does this have to do with this passage that we read in John? How does all of this fit together? There are four questions that we need to consider. And I want this to be so personal because when I went through this, he hammered me with this and made it just as personal as he could be. And I want it to be personal for you because I need us to think. Not just come to church, but think about this. Question number one. Question number one, what are you looking for? What are you looking for? I find it fascinating. The first words, Jesus was 30 years old when he started his ministry, give or take a day or two. He was 30 years old. There was all sorts of things that he said. Luke tells us that he was, I think it was Luke, tells us that he was in the temple and the things that he said in the temple. And we've got other things that he said at different places. We've got Jesus with these words. The first words out of Jesus' mouth that John records is the question, what are you looking for? Does that strike you as odd? Hit me right between the eyes. What are you looking for? What are you looking for? Two former disciples of John are now stalkers. When you read the story, if you'll listen to it and let it talk to you, you find out these two guys are stalkers now because they were standing with John he was standing with John the Baptist, and John goes, look, there's the Lamb of God. And the two guys said, Sinara, see you later. And they started following Jesus. But they didn't walk up to him and ask him anything. They just kept following him. Have you ever been somewhere and you felt like somebody was following you? Sort of a weird feeling, you know. You just, every time you look around, they're, they're back there. And finally, Jesus turns around and looks to these two guys. And he doesn't say to them, hey, how are you? What are you boys up to? What do you guys need? The first words out of his mouth are, what are you looking for? What are you looking for? Instead of them answering his question, instead of them, instead of them answering his question, they returned his question with a question, and they said, where are you staying? And Jesus answers their question by saying, come and see. What are you looking for? read this this week everyone is looking for that which will satisfy their needs give reality to their dreams and give substance to their hope I like that everyone is looking for that which will satisfy their needs give reality to their dreams and give substance to their hopes the question we have to ask ourselves is what are you looking for are you happy that the church that you go to, are you happy if, if, it, if, if that church provides teaching and activities for your kids that come and maybe that will give them enough Jesus that they'll be able to hang on when they go to college or hang on when they go into the workforce and they face six out of ten people there that don't share their beliefs. I want you to think about this, parents. You're sending your kids off to college. No, I'm not here to make you feel good this morning. I'm really working into our anxieties because your kid goes off to college and they room with somebody that they don't know and there's a 6 in 10 chance that they're not Christian. My daughter went to college and roomed with a Hindu who now believes in Jesus. Ha! That was good. But heavens to Betsy, 
Six out of ten people that your children are going to leave here and run into are not Christian. Is it good enough for you parents and grandparents that six out of ten kids that ask your kid out for a date are claimed by darkness? Let me ask it to you this way. If you knew instead of having a 1 in 180 million chances or 280 million chances, I don't know what the lottery odds are anymore. But if you knew you had a 4 in 10 shot of winning the lottery, 4 in 10 shot could win $276 million, 4 in 10 shot. Would you sell everything you own, everything precious to you, and put a bet on the Georgia lottery because I got a four in ten shot. Of course you wouldn't. But every time your child walks into school, every time your child goes to college, every time your child goes to work, six out of ten guys, six out of ten gals are owned by darkness. What are you looking for? What are you looking for here? What are you looking for the church to be? What do you think God wants for us here? Question number two, do you believe that Jesus has the answer? Do you believe that Jesus has the answer? Instead of answering Jesus' question, the two disciples asked Jesus, Teacher, where are you staying? And Jesus answered, Come and you'll see. And this is where this, there's more to this question and answer to me than just where is your house he didn't just say, oh, come and I'll show you. I believe Jesus is answering his original question here. When he says, what are you looking for? He says, come and you'll see what you're looking for. I believe that's what he was doing. Do you believe? <clears throat> do you believe? Do you believe? Stay with me. Do you believe that if we could get those six kids to come to this church, that they would have a shot at finding that thing that satisfies their needs, gives reality to their dreams, and substance to their hopes. If we could get them here, do you think they'd find it here? I want to ask this question, and don't, don't take it any further than what the question says. If you had a boy, not your son, okay? Not your son, but that he's a nephew, a cousin, a child next door, you had a kid that you have some kind of relationship with that's a really, really good ball player. Would you rather invite him to church or to a ball field? He's not a Christian. Which one do you want to invite him to? Church or a ball field? You see, ball, he's good. Ball can't get by him. He's going to snag it every time. When he goes to throw somebody out, he always throws them out. When the ball comes in for him to hit it, he always gets a hit. He is a ball player. And if you introduce him to a ball field, then that will satisfy a need, give reality to his dream, and give him hope. Which one would you rather him have? And don't blow me off and say, Randy, this is a silly argument. It's not a silly argument. You stop and think and be real with yourself for a minute. In your heart of hearts, is your church where you want that kid to be? Is your church where you want your kid to be? 
Do you know that at church, your child is going to get the answer that they need that will satisfy them and give them hope? Are you convinced that Jesus is that answer? Do you believe that Jesus is that answer? Do you really believe that? Or do we go through the motions because we live in Grayberry? Do we truly believe? Question number three. Do you know what you found when you found Jesus? Do you know what you found? Do you understand what you found? After the two disciples talked with Jesus that day, Andrew went to grab his brother Simon, and when he found him, his words were, we found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ, which means, by the way, the anointed one. What does it mean to us that we found the Messiah? What does it mean that you're saved? What difference does it make to you that you're saved? What difference does it make that you found Jesus? Jesus tells Peter he's the rock. Was he? Was Peter a rock when Jesus met him the first time? We know Peter's story. Peter wasn't a rock. Peter was a weenie. Peter was a man who shot off his mouth. He wanted to be a leader. He just didn't know where he was wanting to go. He had an opinion about everything, and he said his opinion about everything. Peter was the one who asked to walk on water, and then when they got him, when he got out of the boat and could literally walk on water, he wimped out and sank. Peter is the one who declared that Jesus will never be crucified, and Jesus called Peter Satan. How would that make you feel if your boss came up to you and called you Satan? Hmm. Peter's the one who lied about Jesus paying the temple tax. Peter's the one who asked, how many times do I have to forgive my brother? Is seven enough? Peter is the one when Jesus went to pray on the night he was betrayed, Jesus asked Peter specifically, couldn't you just stay awake an hour? Dude, all I wanted from you was an hour. Couldn't you, of all people, stay awake? Peter's the one who said, everybody else will deny, will deny you, but I won't. And then the cock crowed three times. Peter's the one who, after Jesus was crucified, went back to the boats to fish to live out his life in depressed obscurity. Peter was no rock until Jesus met him on a beach. And on that beach, Jesus sat down with him and he said, do you love me? Think about betraying your spouse. Think about betraying your spouse. And instead of throwing things at you or shooting you when you walk in the door, your spouse sits down with you and looks you in the eyes and you know you betrayed them. And your spouse says, do you love me? Wouldn't you feel like a dog? Peter looks at Jesus and he says, yeah, I, I love you. You know I do. Jesus says, but do you love me? And Peter says, well, you know, Lord, that I, that I love you. And Jesus says, but Peter, do you love me? And Peter, if you look in the language, you'll see Peter looks at him and he says, yeah, I, I like you a whole lot. I know who I am. I, 
And Jesus says, feed my sheep. And Peter knew that minute what forgiveness was. And Peter knew that minute what it means to be redeemed. And Peter knew that minute what grace was. And Peter went on to the day of Pentecost when he preached. And when he preached at the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people were saved. And I know the words rang in his ears, upon this rock I will build my church. And here he is preaching and 3,000 people are saved. And he's leaning back going, whoa, whoa, Jesus loves me. This I know. Final question, do you know who to tell? He first found his own brother Simon and told him we found the Messiah. When Andrew met Jesus, found out that Jesus had the answer, that Jesus was the answer, the first thing that Andrew did was tell the person who was most important to him. He told the person, he found his brother, and he told his, his brother that I have found what we have been looking for all of our life. I found him. I want you to know him. Come on, let me introduce you to him. So that's why I say you vote yes on two services. That's what we need to prepare for. There are people that need to be told. There are people that need to understand six out of ten people you're going to meet when you leave this room today have no clue that Jesus is their Messiah, that he can change their life. This, this is where we decide who we are. If you go back and read the covenant that I made with you and you made with me on the call, there's a line in that covenant that says that I will lead the church to fulfill the Great Commission. And we both agreed on that. This is it. The Great Commission is that six out of ten people that are out there right now who have no clue that there is a man who will change their life forever. And when we go and tell them about Jesus, Jesus says that when I am lifted up, I will draw all men to me. And when we lift him up in front of these folks, the Holy Spirit's going to move some of them to salvation. They're going to need a place to go. They come to this place. People will see what's going on in this place. They'll see that we are the light of the world, which is what Scripture says we are. And they will give praise to God for what God is doing in this community. That's what will happen. That's what we're looking for. That's where we're at. It's time to be intentional to do things on purpose because they're not the right thing to do, but it's because it's what we want to do because God has called us to that. Because we know Jesus. And there's nothing else. You don't know how many times I've sat with people in my office pouring their hearts out and I would do anything to help them and all I've got to give them is Jesus. I ain't got nothing else. I got one gun and my bullet. I'm the Barney Fife of, of church. But my one bullet's Jesus. And he takes care of us.
And he helps us. And he teaches us. And he gives us a new chance. And he makes us brand new. Jesus. He is the only one who will satisfy their needs, give reality to their dreams, and substance to their hopes. You can take the boy to the ball field and not bring him to church. But don't badmouth the boy when he gets in trouble sometime. When the fame goes to his head and he gets arrested for beating somebody or all the things that we see on television that they do because they don't know any better. They're claimed by darkness. They don't know Jesus. They're doing what we allowed them to do. It's just Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, from the belief that I have to earn your love, from the fear that I am unlovable, from the false security that I have what it takes, from the fear that trusting you will leave me more destitute, from all suspicion of your words and your promises, from the rebellion against childlike dependency on you, from refusals and reluctances and accepting your will, from my fear and anxiety about the future, from resentment or excessive preoccupation with the past, from restless self-seeking in the present moment, from disbelief in your love and presence, from the fear of being asked to give more than I have, from the belief that my life has no meaning or worth, from the fear of what love demands, from, this, from discouragement, from these things, Lord, deliver us, Jesus. Deliver us. That you are continually holding me, sustaining me, and loving me, that your love goes deeper than my sins and failings and transforms me, that not knowing what tomorrow brings is an invitation to lean on you, that you're with me in my suffering, that my suffering united with your suffering will bear fruit in this life and the next, that you'll not leave me orphan, that you're present in your church, that your plan is better than anything else, that you always hear me and in your goodness always respond to me, that you give me the grace to accept forgiveness and to forgive others, that you give me all the strength I need for what is asked, that my life is a gift, that you will teach me to trust you, that you are my Lord and my God, that I am your beloved one. For these things, Jesus, we trust you as best as we can. We trust you. 
Amen. You need Jesus. I invite you now to come forward to receive him, to accept him as Savior, to pray, to join the church, whatever it is that God's moving you to do this morning. I invite you to do that now. Stand as we sing.